0: This Dharma talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Lovely to see you all, and thank you for braving the, the weather. We're just at a lull between storms here. <clears throat> So, um, probably by now you know we're, we're in the middle of a one-day sitting today, um, a silent day of uh, meditation and uh, walking meditation and work um, and eating meals in a formal and mindful way, um, and this one-day sitting is um, right in the middle of our six-week practice period, um, which is a kind of opportunity to um, try on um, a new level of commitment to our practice and to see what happens and to sort of observe what happens. Um, <clears throat> so the theme of this practice period um, is just one word, mind, um, which in Zen is a kind of vast topic and one that's kind of hard to get any real purchase into. Um, Like all good things in spiritual practice, um, they become hard to talk about. Um, But nonetheless, I'm going to try today. (laughs) Um, And I think there's... um, you know, two, two very basic ways that we think of mind in Zen in particular. And the first is our kind of conventional idea of um, <clears throat> our thinking mind. Um, maybe a little broader than that, it can kind of include um, our emotional life and the, the thoughts and ideas that often stem from that. Um, maybe our kind of individual consciousness. Um, these are all kind of synonyms for, for one version of mind. Um, but often in Buddhism, or, uh, and especially Zen, um, mind is talked about as a kind of synonym for <clears throat> Buddha nature or um, kind of the totality of existence that we're all swimming in. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about both of these aspects. But um, maybe we can keep in the back of our mind that these um, these aren't necessarily separate things. You know, To divide mind into two things as a way of talking about it is um, kind of functional. But that doesn't mean that we um, believe that that's true, that there are these two things, our kind of individual mind, and the totality of everything. So so I want to start with a brief, um, but very sweet Zen story. Um, It came up in our discussions uh, during a practice period gathering about a week ago. Um, and this is from um, Dogen's fascicle Genjo Koan. So, for those that don't know, Do- Ehe Dogen was the founder of um, the style of Zen that we practice in the 13th century in Japan, um, and he was a prolific writer and, and teacher. Um, but he's sort of recalling a, a kind of a, a story from behind, before his time. He says, uh, Zen Master Bao Che of Mount Mayu was fanning himself. A monk approached and said, Master, the nature of wind is permanent and there is no place it doesn't reach. So he's sort of citing some scripture or something he's read and he's sort of telling the master, in a way, you're doing it wrong. Like, why do you need to fan yourself? If... Uh, wind, the nature of wind is permanent. And wind itself in this story can be mind, can be enlightenment, can be the universe. Um, so this young uh, whippersnapper comes up to the master and says, The nature of wind is permanent. There's no place it does not reach. Why then do you fan yourself? Um, and the master responds, Although you understand that the nature of wind is permanent, Vauce replied, you do not understand the meaning of its reaching everywhere. Hmm. So the the student has kind of set back a little bit, but he comes back with a, with a question about that point. Um, he just says, what is the meaning of its reaching everywhere then? And in the story, the master just kept fanning himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the lovely part is that the next line of the Genja Koan is that the monk bowed deeply. So the student kind of um, received some new understanding about the nature of wind or, uh, about our mind. <clears throat> So I will come back to this story um, later in the talk, but um, I think sometimes it's helpful before we even try and contemplate this um, boundless, mystical aspect of mind. Uh, We start right where we are. We have to kind of come to terms with what it means to be an individual being and have have a mind that has thoughts, and limitations. I think we're, even before we start practice, we're, we're aware of our own kind of limitations. Um, so, uh, particularly when we study, when we sit in Zazen, um, part of what we're doing is kind of witnessing um, the upwelling of thoughts and ideas and emotions and trying not to, to kind of fall into them and get involved and argue with ourselves, but just to sort of witness this kind of endless stream of um, thoughts and ideas. One kind of way of thinking about thinking or our thinking mind that's been helpful for me is to think of each thought. So even prior to being able to do this, sometimes our mind is so busy we don't know what we're thinking. You know, We kind of look inward and it's like a jumble of um, voices or something in there and we can't distinguish them. But I think in coming to a quiet place and sitting with ourselves quietly and allowing our energies to kind of ground a little bit, we can start to see kind of individual thoughts come arise and sometimes I think of each thought as a um, a trial balloon like my mind is offering me like well how about the grocery list do you want to do you want to play on the grocery list right now um how about that conversation you had yesterday that really like that didn't go well What, what should I have really said maybe if I'd said that it would have gone this way so each thought kind of is a trial balloon and in meditation, and in this seat and posture, I actually had, I get the choice to get involved or not get involved. Um, so the, the grocery list comes up. Okay, you know I'll I'll come back to that. You know maybe when I'm not meditating. You know that conversation from yesterday, and maybe all the feelings around it—a kind of disappointment or embarrassment or. oh okay there's that trial balloon no I I don't think I'm going to get involved with that one right now Mm -hmm. so we kind of we learn to um, maybe not trust the urgency of our thinking mind (laughs) it's not that they're not legitimate things to take care of you know Um, but does that have to happen right now in this quiet room Maybe not. So here's a specific instruction for that kind of dealing with our thinking mind in Zazen from Uchiyama Roshi. Um, And I find it very clear and succinct. He says, usually we go around getting all excited over the thoughts and feelings that fill our minds. When we do Zazen, we let go of all of that and gain a, true, a freshness, a true sanity. That alone is the true form of the self. And this is self with a big S, or kind of the universal self. So already he's hinting that if we kind of let go of our individual concern, we kind of rejoin some bigger reality. Um, that alone is the true form of the self, the big self. When we practice Sazen, we we have to let go of those ideas that arise, regardless of how frightening or grandiose they may be. In doing so, our true form manifests itself naturally. Suzuki Roshi used this phrase, resuming big mind. So I think one of the kind of... um, we get um, snared into in zazen and in spiritual practice is that we have to do something we have to fix something we have to get somewhere we have to accomplish something and um, I think Uchiyama Roshi and Suzuki Roshi and Dogen are all pointing to actually if we let go of that kind of that urgency that thing in us that wants to do something if we just sort of let it slide maybe we actually kind of resume a, a bigger life. And I love that the last word of that, phrase, that quote is naturally. Actually, we all know how to do this. Actually, it kind of happens without us doing anything. Um, <clears throat> maybe other than just sort of passing on the momentary urgency of our, of our thinking mind. Um, and I think another trap we fall into in meditation is thinking that our um, goal in meditation is actually to stop our thinking mind. That the way to resume this big mind, the way to naturally enter some bigger life, is to stop our, our little mind. And Uchiyamuro, she says, it, it is perfectly natural that thoughts occur. So sometimes I've heard a kind of phrase that our our brain, or our consciousness, is a kind of gland that's excreting thought. So it's Mm -hmm. just what it does, you know? We're sweating thoughts. Um, And so it's not like, we're not trying to stop our system from, from sweating thoughts, it's just doing what it's doing. So he says, it's perfectly natural that thoughts occur Yet if we chase afterthoughts, we are thinking and no longer doing zazen. So what should our attitude be? Briefly, aiming at maintaining the posture of zazen with our flesh and bones. Well, that's already quite a bit. But um, <clears throat> Meaning, we have to maintain our seat. We have to kind of find some grounded steadiness from which to let go so maintaining the posture of zazen with our flesh and bones letting go of thoughts is the most appropriate expression for describing what our attitude should be what is letting go of thoughts that's a good question Um, he says well when we think we think of something thinking of something means grasping that something with thought (coughs) So that's me pursuing the grocery list. We're definitely out of bananas, we need to get bananas. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we think, we think of something. Thinking of something means grasping that something with thought. However, during Zazen, we open the hand of thought that is trying to grasp something and simply refrain from, from grasping. This is letting go of thoughts. So even though that's clear, you know, and kind of, or I find it clear in what he's asking, it's not necessarily easy. Um, especially because we have a momentum to our life and a momentum to our mind. And sometimes when we do a longer retreat, what we notice is that um, it takes some time, even in being in a silent or quiet environment and having this focus on trying to let go, it takes some time to kind of unwind the momentum of our normal, everyday thinking. Um So part of this is just, you know, when he says letting go or opening the hand of thought, I would add um, kind of patiently or over and over again. Um, And letting go itself is a, um, it's a koan. It's It's a kind of question, what does that mean? Um, because I think we've all had the experience of, um, letting go or sort of even encouraging ourselves to let go, being like this pink elephant, you know, don't think of the pink elephant. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops, now I'm obsessing about the pink elephant. So, um even in encouraging ourselves to let go, <clears throat> then that can become a kind of rigid, like, oh, I have to let go, I just had another thought and I'm not letting go, you know. Um, and sometimes that's just part of practice. Yes. That's, that's the patience, that we kind of have to maintain our posture and kind of keep... Um, keep inquiring into what it might mean to let go. Because actually letting go is the absence of doing. Um, letting go means that I'm not pursuing. I'm not grasping. So it's tricky, you know. I can't add another action to stop an action. I just have to actually stop the action. Mm-mm. So maybe after some time we can um, sit quietly and maybe we have an experience like Suzuki Roshi. Um, Suzuki Roshi um, offers us a particular kind of poetic vision of what it might feel like to resume Big Mind. if I can find it. He says, when we practice zazen, our mind always follows our breathing. When we inhale, air comes into the inner world. When we exhale, the air goes out into the outer world. The inner world is limitless, and the outer world is also limitless. We say inner world or outer world but actually there is just one whole world. So this is the kind of merging of my individual life and this bigger life that I kind of imagine is outside of me or beyond me somewhere. In this limitless world, our throat is like a swinging door. The air comes in and goes out like something passing through a swinging door. If you think, I breathe... The I is extra. There is no you to say I. What we call I is just a swinging door which moves when we inhale and when we exhale. It just moves, that is all. When your mind is pure and calm enough to follow this movement, inner world, outer world, there is nothing, no I, no world, No mind nor body, just a swinging door. So I mentioned in the class this week that maybe we've had um, the experience of this feeling. Um, And maybe we've had the experience of this feeling without even knowing it. (coughs) maybe this experience was so pure that our, our grasping didn't kind of wake up and get involved. And so... Um, and I think this experience is actually important to practice. So um, part of what we do in Zazen or what we do on retreat is letting go of our small concerns um, and seeing what happens. We don't know. We don't know what will happen. But maybe um, in having this experience of kind of no I, just the swinging door, that doesn't mean nothing. It doesn't mean kind of voidness. Um, I was actually appreciating this week that He mentions even after there's no mind or no body or no eye, there's still a swinging door. So, what um, maybe there's still an awareness of some movement in and out. Um, And that is kind of this merging of my small kind of awareness and some larger life. that I don't kind of disappear into this larger life and no longer exist as a small being. Um, It's just that my small being has kind of whittled away to just the sensation of a swinging door, just the sort of noticing of movement. So how do we have that experience? How do we kind of um, get to see this larger life? Mm -hmm. Yeah?
0: Um, Notice your really basic breathing, especially if um, there's something going on that you feel like you need a little relief from. It could be zazen, Mm -hmm. or it could be traffic, or (laughs) people, you know, irritating people. And... Notice if it sort of diffuses your viewpoint so you don't feel so much mm-hmm. I.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think one kind of um, image of this sort of small I um, being a kind of bubble that I live in, and I'm sort of bouncing around in that bubble and my thoughts and my emotions, and big mind being this, you know, boundless bubble. Uh, surrounding this little bubble that um, partly when I remember to or, or, or in the in the act of returning to my breathing maybe that small eye is kind of um, becoming more a part of this this bigger eye um, a kind of perspective mm-hmm. yeah thank you yeah I think I Told a story one time here that um, very early in practice I remember having left a retreat and a few days later I was kind of missing the feeling of the retreat you know and feeling very um, and I was in, sitting in traffic but it wasn't just traffic I mean, traffic was just an aspect of this sort of um, irritation that I that I was sort of um, completely absorbed in a really uncomfortable feeling and I think because I had just been in retreat a few days before and I was sitting in traffic, it occurred to me to just sort of look a little bit up, up the, the windshield and find the horizon. Um, and I think just the act of like allowing my perspective, my, my visual field to um, to kind of gaze at the distance kind of allowed some some part of that... That turmoil to expand or, or kind of um, dissipate. So, I think that, um, yeah, like the, the things we can do to kind of prompt our, our mind when we're locked in that space it can be really helpful. And, pers- yeah, in perspective is, is one way to do that. Um, but one way to do that is just to return to a kind of awareness of our breathing. Allow that to kind of loosen this tight little bubble. Mm-hmm.
0: That probably mm. explains why I put the Milky Way on my work computer
1: yesterday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That's great. <laughs> For a while I got I got really into like any documentary I could find about outer space. <laughs> just because of the feeling of Bastards. vastness. It kind of soothed me. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because sometimes the feeling of vastness feels very scary, you know. And we want to kind of stay where we kind of know and, and feel c- mm-hmm. kind of I don't want to say comfortable, but but uh, kind of normal. Or yeah. Um, yeah. There was a great um, IMAX um, film that was the Hubble Telescope. Did you see that one? They basically, like, took 20 years of Hubble telescope pictures in every direction and created this 3D map of the actual universe. And then in this movie, you fly through the the universe of this, you know, actually created by the Hubble. And they, they go to some, maybe it's the Crab Nebula, but some nebula where there's, like... These pink clouds that look like the inside of a clamshell or something and there's all these little really bright dots of um, incubating stars basically. It's like a womb star of stars. Nursery. Yeah, star, star? nursery, uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, how do we do this? How do we kind of enter some bigger life? And I think part of it is, (laughs) it's this catch-22. It's sort of remembering that we can't do it. It's the sort of, to let go of the doing that we're already doing that's causing us this sort of turmoil or tumult. So there's this great term of um, Taoism called Wu Wei, or um, effortless effort. Uh, non-doing. So um, the feeling of, in Taoism, of kind of entering the Tao, entering the stream of uh, the existence of the universe, rather than my limited existence. Um, Effortless effort. So just like the swinging door is still in the big mind picture, effort is still somehow related to effortlessness. So it's not like apathy or sloth. It's not like giving up, but it's a kind of effort that, when engaged properly, becomes effortless. It becomes a kind of um, a flow in the uh, larger picture. You know, just kind of allowing ourselves to be part of something bigger. Um, and interestingly enough, um some of the definitions for Shikantaza. So Shikantaza is this kind of... is the one practice of Zen. Um, You know, a lot of schools of Buddhism have lots of kind of preliminary practices and steps and different kinds of meditation you can do to kind of... um, to kind of head in some direction. And Zen, like, takes the complete other tact and says then those things will just be things that you're grasping. You know, all these um, these ways of calming or soothing. Or So um, one idea of of Zen practice or Zazen is Shikantaza, just, just sitting. It's the translation of Shikantaza. But this just is like um, a kind of fathomless just sitting. So it's like a... Um, Your whole life is a kind of doing. How do you stop doing um, That's shikantaza, to um, let go of our effort? But in a in, in sense, you know, Zen practice is telling us to, to do shikantaza, to, to, to kind of totally let go of doing, we have to take a certain posture. We have to sit upright. We have to expend, extend the spine. You know, and all those things feel like effort, especially when we first start, and our body is kind of adapting to even taking these positions. Um, But maybe sometime, you know, even in just a moment of a particular period of zazen, it doesn't feel painful, or it doesn't feel cramped to sit upright. (laughs) At least fathom the thought that that might be possible <laughs> so I wanted to get back to this story about the monk asking Master Che or Mount Mayu about the fanning um, so in Dogen's um, Dogen has a fascicle called three, the three realms are inseparable from mind um, And the three realms are um, technical kind of Buddhist terms. The, the, the three realms are the realm of desire, the kind of wanting, getting, um, the realm of, the fo- of form, which is kind of like a, in Buddhist cosmology, is almost sort of like a godlike realm. Like we've, we've kind of um, soothed most of our internal complaints. Um, and then the realm of the formless, which is a kind of, you know, the ether of spiritual life or something. Um, But interestingly, all three of these realms are subject to samsara. So in in Buddhist cosmology, if we practice in the desire realm and we try to let go of our desires and not get so involved in them, perhaps we'll be reborn in the realm of form, and kind of have an easier life or something. But um, in Buddhism, the goal is to kind of not keep being reborn as a suffering being, even if that suffering is so small, and especially early Buddhism. So it's interesting, all three realms represent existence or kind of places that we might kind of end up if, um, if we haven't kind of perfected our life as a Buddha. So, anyway, the three realms is kind of a technical term, but we could also just say the three realms, meaning kind of reality. Um, So he's saying the three realms are our reality. Um, He says, Great Master Shakyamuni in the Avatamsaka Sutra said, The three realms are inseparable from single mind, there's nothing outside of mind mind, the Buddha, and sentient beings are not divided. And he goes on, um, and then a particular line really really hit me. He, he continues. He says, "Thus great Master Shakya said, "Nothing sees the three realms better than the three realms." So again, this is a kind of antidote to this idea that I'm a small me and I'm trying to um, get something out there, you know, accomplish some, even if it's big mind, even if it's sort of joining some larger reality, if I have this dualistic idea that I'm the small thing trying to get to the big thing, uh, over and over again we're told, you're not going to get there. You're going to remain in this sort of torment of um, trying to get out of this thing. Um, So when he says nothing sees the three realms, so um, nothing sees the universe better than the universe. Um, And when Master Bao Che, answers the question from the monk, well, how, um, what is the meaning of of wind reaching everywhere? And he just keeps fanning himself. So um, both of these are speaking to an aspect of um, remembering, recalling, that we are actually already part of this universe. We're already part of this great dynamic functioning that we, we can't even hope to understand in some way. But it's a, it's a balm to me to the idea or the small self that thinks I'm located here and I need to get out there somewhere. So the three realms, nothing sees the three realms better than the three realms. Nothing understands the nature of wind than somebody who's joined in the effort of the nature of wind. It's not. Um, it's not like somewhere out there wind is happening, and I have to observe it closely, and then I understand the nature of wind. I actually have to take part. I have to be. Um, be the sort of hand of the universe creating the wind. Have to, I have to be the three realms observing the three realms
0: I think they call it participatory observer I think in anthropology or interesting
1: participatory observer mm-hmm. that's lovely actually mm-hmm. yeah so um, in a way I think what I've been encouraging today is to sort of like fathom this sort of larger life that we might be possible but even in, in the ways that I'm talking about it there's a kind of duality of I'm here and I'm trying to get there, and so these um, Master Bao Che and Dogen are sort of saying you're already swimming in the effort in the energy of the universe. You know, it's actually just this sort of idea that I'm that I'm separate, that I'm cut off, that I have to let go of, and then I just naturally resume the life of the universe. Um. Yeah?
0: The story of um, the Master Fanning himself reminds me of the question that at least I took as being what what drove Dogen at some point. Like, if we're all naturally already enlightened, why bother with practice? If mind is permanent, and everywhere, why fan ourselves right. you can 't really answer that, but on a, in a concrete provisional sort of way, fanning ourselves is that kind of practice it's showing up it's sitting it's maintaining the posture and coming back yeah so I think in the spirit of effortless effort, the effort is what we can do that's more skillful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, more it's, in, not, it's not a self-improvement project, per se. It's not mm-hmm. managing or organizing or tracking or evaluating. It's mm-hmm. what can we do? And we can fan ourselves. We can sit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then wind is wind.
1: Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And, and you, what was the word that you used that more um, expedient, not, but skillful, you used, skillful? skillful. So I think what skillful means is, is is my action or my effort in alignment with the universe as it is, with the flow of my life. Is it in alignment with the people and family that I'm surrounded with, you know, uh, or the people I work with? So there's, a, there's an aspect of kind of harmony and understanding our surroundings and what kind of we're being what's being asked of us. And I think if we respond to what's being asked of us rather than what do I want to do, and not that what I want to do is necessarily wrong. I mean interestingly, sometimes finding what I want to do is the expedient means. Like our deepest intention actually probably already is in alignment with this larger life. Um, but I think, yeah, I think if the perspective is more, how do I kind of enter my life and my surroundings, and and what what kind of best suits that? You know, is this the moment that I fan myself? Is that the sort of action that kind of speaks to the life and surroundings and the person in front of me? Like if it's the student. Um, is, that what, is, that, is that what's helpful for them, you know? Am I fanning myself just to feel the wind, or am I expressing something to somebody else? So, um, yeah, expedient means, or skillful means, or harmony, or in accord with, this, these all become a koan of themselves as well. Like, well, what is really being asked of me in this moment? Um, and that's where zen the encouragement is just to stay with the question you know stay with the question and then but not as a kind of on the sideline like i'm going to stay on the sideline and think about this for a while but like have that question enter our life and try try whatever action comes up maybe if it's fanning then in the midst of that action we tune into actually is this is this skillful means? Like, does this feel right? Is this helpful for other people? For myself? Um, So it is a koan, even. You know, we can just say, oh yeah, we should be skillful, but then what is skillful? Yeah. So I'll just um, return to this story one last time because it's very sweet. Then Master Bao Che of Mount Mayu was fanning himself. A monk approached and said, Master, the nature of wind is permanent and there is nowhere it does not reach. Why then do you fan yourself? Although you understand the nature of wind is permanent, Baoche replied, you do not understand the meaning of its reaching everywhere. What is the meaning of its reaching everywhere? asked the monk again. The master just kept fanning himself. The monk bowed deeply. The actualization of the Buddha Dharma, the vital path of its correct transmission, is like this. If you say that you do not need to fan yourself because the nature of wind is permanent you can have and you can have wind without fanning, you will understand neither permanence nor the nature of wind. And then he kind of um, blows our mind with the last line of the sutra. It says, The nature of wind is permanent because of that the wind of the Buddha's house brings forth the gold of the earth and makes fragrant the cream of the long river.
0: (laughs) 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 Um,
1: So is there a a final question or word that anybody wants to share? Yeah. First of all, thank you for your teaching. Um, I've heard so many of these stories before and never really understand them. (laughs) (laughs) for some reason you pointing out that the wind is mine like makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. and I think of the fanning as a metaphor for that dualistic thinking that you started with Mm -hmm. and I guess that intention of trying to stop the fanning to appreciate the wind Mm -hmm. but then this this teaching that that's part of the wind as well that you know Mm -hmm. Is that really realizing that the nature of wind is permanent to stop ourselves from fanning? Is that how we do it? Yeah. It doesn't seem like these teachings are saying that's the way. Yeah. We have to enter it. We have to be part of it. Thank you.